Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, after a brutal loss to the crosstown rivals, the Brooklyn Nets, 117 to 112. Uh, Alex, I usually say this with sarcasm. There's no sarcasm in this statement tonight. Heck of an effort, though. Yeah, and a little bit of eight on five going on down the stretch, which, like, if you know, you know. But yeah, Gavin, we, we got a lot to get into with this game. Julius Randle's late game heroics. Fantastic team defense. RJ Barrett continuing some, you know, his strong stretch of play. Reggie Bullock went crazy and made a bunch of three pointers. Emmanuel quickly started his first game. So there's still a lot to talk about. We'll get into it all next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up and tucks left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster in non-pandemic times during this ongoing, seemingly forever apocalypse. I am a meager podcast host, and I'm joined by Alex Wolf who is the editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks site on the internet. And Alex, heck of a game tonight. Knicks were struggling throughout, down by 18 in the first half. Felt like Kyrie Irving and James Harden could essentially do whatever they wanted, regardless of the quality of the Knicks' defense. Knicks had a couple of like sort of pseudo-comebacks um, for most of the second half. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, they really locked in. Frank Nilkina inspired some high-level, intense defense. Julius Randle, bowling ball on his way to the rim hitting threes, getting out in transition, doing everything he could to keep the Knicks alive in this one. R.J. Barrett getting to the free throw line again and again and again. Um, it didn't seem like it was going to be enough, but then the Knicks put together this, this I'm going to just say master class in, in closing second down by more than a possession defense, if, if that is a category. I've long been an advocate of, of teams trying not to foul and going for the jump ball, obviously easier said than done, but the Knicks uh, played it perfectly. They, they had a stretch where they were, I think they were down by five at this point, and they got James Harden tied up. Nash had to call a timeout. Joe Harris was going to inbound it. Um, again, couldn't get it in. They have to use another timeout. Um, moving into the front court, get into Harden, triple team, tie up, jump ball. Knicks get the ball back, score. Uh, and then another tie up, controversial foul on RJ Barrett. Uh, Tibbs, I thought I, I was advocating for him to use his challenge on Frank's sixth foul. Instead, he saves it. They go to the monitor and they realize the clear and present fact that R.J. Barrett did not, in fact, foul Joseph Harris. A jump ball. Knicks get the ball back. Chance to win. No call on uh, Julius Randle getting blocked by Kyrie Irving and then dropping the ball, which should have been a jump ball as far as my understanding goes. Nets make free throws. Julius Randle mad. Knicks lose. Tough way to go, but Alex against maybe the best team in the NBA. Sure, they were missing Kevin Durant. The Knicks were also missing Derrick Rose and Mitchell Robinson, key components themselves. The Knicks showed themselves incredibly well, and I think you agree with me. More than anything else, just the attitude of this team is amazing and, and one that embodies everything you want to see from New York basketball. Yeah, I hate to pin it on just one thing, but there was really like one moment 
that sort of sealed that this game was not going to be a win or the, or that it just got just far enough that like the Knicks weren't able to claw themselves out. And that was at the beginning of the second quarter, they ran out a entirely bench platoon lineup of, I think it was Frank Burks, Taj Toppin. And I'm trying to remember who the, the final piece was in that. Maybe it was Bullock, uh, whoever it was, it, it was mostly a bench lineup and that sort of tanked, you know, the Knicks right there. I think they gave up a 14 to two run with that lineup in. And then for the rest of the way out, they won the game, you know, other than that. And it was mostly a tie up until that point. So yeah, it was, uh, it was disappointing to say the least that they weren't able to finally pull it out. I will say like that you already mentioned it, but that late game defense was crazy. I I don't know if I've ever seen a team that like committed to doing that the way that the Knicks did. Uh, which was not fouling, not sending the nets to the free throw line, but instead just trying to tie them up. And they tied them up on two separate possessions down the stretch, which then led to jump balls. And the Knicks got both those. And then obviously the final one had to get a it had to get challenged by Tibbs to even get to the point of the Knicks having a shot to tie it down three. But then Julius Randle, as you said, goes up for the three. And then I guess the refs were just making up the call that they overturned a second ago that they had tried to give to the Nets prior to that with the foul call and just decided that they couldn't see Kyrie Irving's hand touching the ball after calling like six phantom fouls on Frank Nilakina. Uh But, you know, I it's, again, I, I've said it on this show like a number of times. I don't, I'm not often one to blame officiating because I don't, I, I feel like if you're in a position to, lose a game by officiating, then you probably weren't going to win it to begin with. Um, at least like a regular season game where things aren't, you know, possession by possession, like in the playoffs usually. But in this particular game, I mean, like I said, you can make the argument that that second half non-adjustment kind of screwed the Knicks over in this game. But that uh, that that end of the game was just, it was pretty gross. Uh, and ultimately, you know, there were a few calls down the stretch that created many point swings in the Nets' favor, including the aforementioned fouls on Frank Nilakino, which put the Nets into the bonus with like, I don't know, like two minutes, two and a half, three minutes maybe to go and let them just shoot tons and tons of free throws down the stretch. So it was a frustrating game to watch, but also exciting. You know, it's it's cool, you know, to be mad at a game like this and to be in a position to win down the stretch like that for sure. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in total agreement. The only other thing I'd add is the Knicks – did shoot themselves in the foot, missing a number of key threes. I mean, the play before Frank fouled out, he had a wide-open shot from the right wing. It, it was the same shot against the Pistons a week ago. He, he, was, he was draining time and time again. Um, Emmanuel quickly missed some good looks earlier in the game. Alec Burks down the stretch missed two or three. I liked what I, – I wish I could give him credit. I'm trying to remember who said it to me. But someone on Twitter was like, yeah, the Knicks – like when you look at this team, they're, they're just so clearly their one shot maker away. And maybe I, I, I responded essentially that I think Emmanuel quickly – could be that guy as soon as maybe next season, or if the Knicks keep losing games like this, maybe maybe it's someone like Sharif Cooper that they find in the draft. I know that's a lot to put on a rookie. Maybe it's a free agent. Maybe it's someone they trade for. Who knows? But but they're clearly they, they were just missing that one dude in end of game situations. But again, it, it was sheer grit that even got them into a position where they'd have a chance to make a shot like that. And, and defensively, that was that was all Milikina like tying up again and again. Um, 
Harden and Kyrie and, and getting called for, to your point, some, some phantom fouls. Um, RJ Barrett, I thought was masterful. He had maybe my favorite defensive possession ever. in like, I think it was the final two and a half minutes um, from him. Anyways, uh, Harden tried to drive on him and Harden. I mean, we, we've seen what he's been doing at the end of games for the Nets and, and his whole career. Um, I know he takes crap for the playoffs, but in, in the regular season, the dude is absolutely unstoppable with any kind of spacing one-on-one. RJ sticks right with him, forces what should have been called a travel, another iffy call there. Um, instead, Harden kind of lands on his feet, moves it along. Joe Harris driving into the lane, halfway up for a shot. Maybe it would have been a pass. Doesn't matter. RJ just strips it from him. And that, w- that was representative of this whole night for RJ, for me, Alex. Maybe it's something we want to get into more in the second segment, but I, I, I've gotten everything I've wanted from Barrett. Last game, I mentioned like a mark of a star or an emerging star is like when you play a bad team, you, you got to go in and kick some butt. You, you got to dominate. You got to take advantage of your matchup and, and, and bully whoever's on you again and again and again against a really good team. And, and this is this is really where the Jimmy Butler comparisons come into play because Jimmy's also a guy, um, a very good athlete, not at least in terms of like vertical jumping, like the best of the best in the world. But he, he, he's a dude uh, against the best teams in the league. He still finds a way to impose his will and get to his spots. And that was that was a continual theme with RJ in this one. Shooting 10 free throws, making 10 free throws. And, and even that shot he missed with, with, I think, 45 seconds left, that would have put the Knicks in a one-possession situation. He got to his spot on the elbow off of like the little handoff. I think it was from IQ. Um, and, and, he, and he missed it, but he got to his spot. And down the road with the way this guy drills himself, with the way with his consistency in that mid-range, I'll, I'll take RJ wide open at the elbow, closing seconds to, to get a close game. Every single time, I think this was a continued step in his star making um, or in his current star trajectory, I should say. I'm in total agreement and I, I do agree. I think let's uh, we'll take our first break and then we'll get into some more individual performances, including I'll, I'll give a few thoughts on RJ in the next segment. But first, just a reminder, today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models of cars, it's impossible for those brick-and-mortar auto parts stores to stock all the parts you need in just that little storefront. And, you know, you've probably heard me in this read before say it, but I'm going to say it again. You've been through this situation before. You've gone into the auto parts store. You've asked for the part that you need for your car. They say they don't have it. They ask you a bunch of questions, even though you already told them what parts you need. And you just kind of want to be like, all right, man, like, you know, we don't need to run a whole diagnostic on my car here. Like, can you just give me the part I need? Then they order it for you and they say, all right, well, it's going to be, you know, three, four days. We'll get it shipped to the store here so you can come pick it up then. Okay, well, there goes your plan to work on your car today. Fine, whatever. You know, you'll come back for it later in the week. Come back for it then and realize the price and realize that you probably could have for the last three, four days just dropped your car off at the mechanic and been in just as good a shape, honestly, uh, and paid the same amount of money. That's where rockauto.com comes in. They are always going to give you the bottom dollar price on your auto parts, and they're always going to have everything that you need in stock. They're also a family-run business. They've been helping out auto parts customers for over 20 years. So if you need help, they'll offer you help. If you don't, they're happy to just ship your order out to you and get it right to your door and leave you unbothered, unlike the brick-and-mortar stores. So if you're interested in picking up some parts for your car or truck, head to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you decide to pick up a part, rate Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, 
Reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Betting on the Knicks doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Take it from me, I tried to uh, give some advice on this Knicks game and I said, man, they're either going to win by a little or they're going to lose by a ton. I would not bet on the Knicks with the spread in this game. Go figure, they covered. Oh, well. Uh, Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, You know, it's a safe bet, Gavin, if I may put on my Lee Sterling hat, is that R.J. Barrett looks like he's going to be potentially a star in the NBA at this point. Um, RJ again, 23 points, six rebounds, four assists, wound up shooting six of 14, but I want to say that he was something like three of 10 before settling in on that line eventually, which was a a big improvement and, uh, also shot 10 of 10 from the free throw line, probably just raised his free throw percentage by like two percentage points just in this game alone. Uh, and you know, I was just like you, Gavin, I was really impressed with RJ um, I thought that he was just kind of doing a little bit of whatever he wanted. Now, granted, like getting covered by Kyrie Irving is not something that's particularly daunting. Kyrie is not a defender. Uh, so, you know, it's it, it, maybe this is like a sort of a hollow achievement, but there was about three or four times where I thought that RJ just like did whatever he wanted when he was guarded by Kyrie Irving. They made the foolish decision of putting Kyrie on him a number of times. And he was, uh, Kyrie was no match for him. You know, there's one in particular that I remember where they got stuck one-on-one on on the perimeter and RJ just sort of was like clear out, like called everybody away and then just sauced them up with a couple quick dribbles, drove into the lane, got a very easy layup, called it a day. Uh, I think he, he sort of approached on the right-hand side, but then, I don't even think he went up with the reverse. I think he straight up went up with his left and finished with his left hand on the right side of the hoop. Really nice finish. Uh, Probably one of my favorites of the game from him. On top of which, I mean, he was drawing so many fouls. He's playing so smart. I think we saw this from him and quickly in this game too, but whenever they would get a mismatch with DeAndre Jordan, they were always looking to exploit that and take advantage of the fact that he's too slow-footed at this point to keep up with anyone of their speed level. And, you know, they they weren't afraid to just kind of be like, all right, clear out ISO time, drive in, try to get that foul call uh, on DeAndre Jordan. And a lot of times they were successful. So just a really nice game from RJ. And to your point, yeah, I thought he played great defense. I thought Frank Delacchino played great defense. Um, Randall, you know, for the parts that he had to play great defense, you know, it was just a really great defensive game all the way around, I think, for the Knicks to hold this Nets team to 117 with the ref assist is really solid. I mean, considering the Nets have had some finishes lately where they're scoring like 135, 140 points and the other team is scoring 132. uh, it, It was a pretty solid effort all around for the Knicks tonight. One that I think they should be pretty proud of uh, against this team and yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't have too much more to say as far as that's concerned uh, on their defensive effort, other than just to say that I thought that it was extremely impressive. Like uh, on a night when they had some pretty decent shot making and stuff too, uh, most of it was 
made possible by the fact that they were playing such good defense, getting rebounds and doing all the little nitty gritty stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, it was, it was a level of, of competitiveness that honestly, like it, it seemed like it, it would have belonged in a playoff game. That That's what it felt like for a lot of it. And it, it was, it was a little March madnessy. Obviously that's well-timed, but just their complete unwillingness to, to give up and to not get down missing shot after shot. And we, we talked a lot about RJ's competitiveness, but how about Julius Randle on this big stage? Again, all season long, he's been asked to go toe-to-toe with, with all the best players in the NBA. And tonight, finishing with 33 points, 12 boards, 6 assists, 3 steals. Um, and it wasn't a game where he necessarily got off to a great start. Like He, he, was, he was really like slow out of the gates, scoring the ball in particular, but then started getting into rhythm and started finding matchups. And ultimately, the Nets... Just didn't really have one guy to put on him. Jeff Green, I, I think, did the best of anyone. And, and James Harden, who has always been stabbed in the post, uh, honestly was was surprisingly effective and forced a couple of misses or, or really tough shots from Julius. But I, I like that. I, I think his level of fitness is, excuse me, is allowing him to find success in these games when in past years he probably would have just called it a night early and said, all right, I, I just don't have it. But instead, he's he's sprinting coast to coast. He, he's taking advantage of rebounds to get easy buckets in semi-transition. Um, I like how willing he is to just fire from three. Like you, you can tell that he feels, and I know I've said this before, but I'll keep reiterating it because it's an amazing development. He feels like every three he takes is going in. Um, he knows when he has those mismatches, like he had that really, I think it was early in the fourth quarter. He like took Shamit just one-on-one and got right to the rim, got a floater, um, had one with like Nick Claxton on him. Where and this is like people have people have sort of called him like mini LeBron this year and other people made the comp that against bad teams he can essentially be LeBron James or against teams without like high level defenders he can essentially be LeBron James. I really saw that in him tonight in just in his ability to get to the rim and then to take contact in the air, but to be just so strong at this point, both in his like upper body and I, I think the biggest thing when you're jumping and taking contact is core strength. Um, to take that contact and just continue to hang in the air and still finish. It was really, really impressive. And to your point, just the endurance, the fact that Tibbs had him out there for 41 minutes, he was going hard the whole way. Um, I don't know about you. Would you have liked a different call on that last shot? I think if Quickly had been shooting a little bit better, I wouldn't have minded it being in his hands the way RJ was getting to the basket and shooting free throws. Uh, Ultimately, I I was good with the decision. Like Julius is their best player. He's their best scorer. He finished his game again, like 13 to 27. So he he should have had the ball. But I, I didn't necessarily like the setup. And I also thought the Knicks were, or maybe maybe it was just Randall. If Tibbs didn't tell him this, it seemed like they were like hard anticipating that he was going to get fouled with how early he took that three. And maybe the logic was just like, all right, take it early so we could possibly get a rebound. If if you miss, we lose anyways. We're down anyways, so it doesn't really matter if you shoot early and miss it. Um, but I, I thought, even though obviously it was the wrong call, it felt just a tiny bit rushed to me. But that's that's a small quibble, and what was an incredible night for Julius Randall. Yeah, I. I don't know. I mean, I don't really have too much of an issue with it. And especially now with the play call, I kind of felt like it was going to be Julius. Uh, I thought maybe it could be quickly, but they started finally deciding to defend quickly a little tighter towards the end of the game. But on top of that, quickly just wasn't shooting that good. I mean, quickly ultimately went four of 12 from three, which I guess in terms of three point shooting isn't half bad. He shot 33%, but you know, Randall was three for six on the night and it wasn't fluky. Like, it's not like he was only taking perfectly wide open threes. Like he had some guys closing out on him. 
Um, he was taking him with small windows, which was exactly what he had to do on that final one there. So I, I don't have too big, big of an issue with the play call to get him the ball. And, you know, ultimately, too, I, I guess the whole thing with him coming down with the ball and ultimately getting called for a travel, even though the ball got touched while he was in the air, I can't blame him for it because he, he so clearly felt the hand on the ball there that he figured, OK, like, you know. I can come back down with it. We've seen Julius pass out of a bad situation like 5,000 times. Um, if he's gone up for a shot and it's not there, well, we've seen him for better or worse whip out passes constantly. So I thought he handled the final possession pretty well. And yeah, to your point too, they, there was a decent chance they could have gotten fouled as well and just sent to the free throw line for two to sort of protect the Nets lead in that way. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was a little, a little frustrating ending for multiple reasons, but ultimately not one that I, I think I really would have played out any differently. Um, but Gavin, I think now is time to maybe let people know where they can go bet if they want to place some bets on the Knicks game tomorrow night against the Sixers. Yeah, you know, the the, the silver lining for, for Knicks fans who, who unlike you, Alex, never lost faith. Uh, the, the, Knicks, the Knicks did cover tonight. And if to your point, if you want to find a place where you could maybe make some money off of having a correct prognostication such as that, well, bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the new scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if, this is a big if, use our promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And we've been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, fantastic tasting protein bar with 100% natural chocolate on all their bars and now it is time to figure out which built bar is the best it is built bar madness there are lots of great matchups we're actually right at the tail end today of toffee almonds showdown with mint brownie i got toffee almond there in an upset and we've got another good one coming up on the other side of the bracket peanut butter brownie versus coconut almond is our next matchup i believe and i got coconut almond all the way that thing tastes just like an Almond Joy. It is a fantastic tasting protein bar that honestly you don't even think tastes like a protein bar. It tastes more like a candy bar, which is the case for pretty much all built Bars. So, you know, really it's a win-win in this tournament, but I just want to pull for my favorites. So if you want to vote on your favorites, though, go to BuiltBar.com or go to at bar underscore built on Twitter. And you can check out the matchups of the day and vote through the Built Bar website. And also, if you want to head to BuiltBar.com and place an order for some Built Bars for yourself, maybe one of your favorites, maybe you want to wait till the winner gets announced, uh, maybe you want to build a box with the final four when it comes around, you can do that. Head to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And be sure to check back and see who won today's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar.
All right, and that's it for our ad break. Wow, look at that. Uh, but just a reminder, increasing your basketball IQ starts with listening to the Hollinger and Duncan podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. NBA analytics pioneer and front office insider John Hollinger joins Dunked On podcast host Nate Duncan to bring you the most in-depth scouting reports, game breakdowns, and salary cap analysis. Subscribe to Hollinger and Duncan today wherever you get podcasts. I'm sure there's some great Knicks takes on that podcast. Um, anyway, they're, they're Gavin. Both, they're both big fans of the team. So. <laughs> both very big fans of the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go there for the general NBA takes, though. Anyway, um, yeah, I guess to continue here, uh, I don't, I don't know how much more can be said about how awesome Randall's night was in this one. So I want to kind of shift the focus, I think, to Emmanuel quickly and talk about his, uh, you know, how he played and and whatever in his first start. I think the first thing is that we saw in the the first 12 minutes when all three of him, RJ and Julius, I think, I think RJ made it all the way through the first quarter. He might've been the first one subbed out, but I think all three of them played the whole first before they did that platoon swap that ultimately, you know, kind of tanked the game. But those three held up really well in the first quarter against the Nets. They only wound up losing the first quarter 35 to 30. And I mean, I understand the Nets are without, Kevin Durant and they, you know, they still haven't added Blake Griffin in to their rotation yet, but they've won with only one game of Kevin Durant in their last 13 games prior to this one. They'd won 12 of 13 and not against pushover teams. I mean, they, they've been beating pretty good teams on a night in night out basis. So I, I think it's, it says something that pretty much exactly what we thought and hoped would happen happened with quickly getting put in the starting lineup. And so hopefully that's enough for Tibbs to hold that lineup now going forward, even once Peyton and Rose come back, because the spacing was great. You know, I thought that Randall got off to a pretty good start. Like it wasn't ideal, but he he did hit some shots early enough. RJ got off to a little bit of a slow start, but, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like slow, slow because he was still getting to the free throw line to some degree. He just couldn't hit like his little mid-range pull-ups and stuff that sometimes, you know, he hits early in the game and goes to. They also didn't really run like any, like have RJ really run pick and roll too much at the beginning of the game, which has kind of become a staple for him as well. But like quickly was hitting shots pretty well early. I think he ended the first quarter with like seven points, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, you know, just sort of displayed that lightning quick scoring ability that he showed from time to time this year. And I think it's the right decision to keep him in the starting lineup. The big thing that the Knicks really needed today was like Derek Rose off the bench. Uh, I think that would have been honestly, if you had Rose out there at the start of the second quarter with that bench unit, and you could have had like Rose, Nilakina, Burks, Top, and Gibson, if that's your platoon swap, that I think that would have worked out okay. Um, it only didn't work out because they literally sat down their top three guns and then lost like any semblance of of good shot creation or you know distribution ability like anything there was just it was it was a very bad lineup <laughs> and obi put for i mean i just don't know if obi is quite ready to be up against this level of competition just yet like i think that his big minutes still need to come in in games that the knicks can presumably build enough of a cushion to throw him out there and, and let him fool around and and learn the nba game more still because he just he, he looked very overwhelmed in this game. 
uh, on a lot of different levels on offense, defense, pretty much everything. As far as like the speed of the game too, it just, it all seemed beyond him in this game uh, in the four minutes that he played. But um, Gavin, I'll throw it to you. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on the, the quickly situation? Like, do you think, some people were making the case of like, oh yeah, maybe this is why Tibbs has been bringing quickly off the bench because nobody else from the bench can score and like create for themselves or others. Do you think that Rose kind of solves that problem and, and they should leave quickly in the starting lineup? Or do you think eventually when Rose comes back, maybe he should take the starting lineup spot and quickly goes back to off the bench? You know, as as long as Alfred Payton's out of the picture, Alex, I'm almost neutral at this point. Um, yeah, that's, right. That's, that's probably my biggest thing. But I, I do think it's it's ultimately it's it's good for quickly to play minutes with the starters, and it's good for the starters to play minutes with quickly. Um, because and and I'll I'll give you credit. You you mentioned this a number of times, like early in the season, like we were kind of banging on quickly, to like be more aggressive, stop doubting himself. Like there were there were a bunch of times where he had Frank syndrome, where he'd be open for three for half a second, uh, would decide not to take it, and and then the window would close, and we're like, all right, come on, man, you got to kind of just be unconscious. And, and and now he's he's tilted uh, that arrow like a little bit too far in the other direction where he's just firing with with a plum and it's it's a little excessive at points and I never thought I'd say that because I was a big advocate of just being like you know what he he should go out there and think that he's Steph Curry but at this point he's he's occasionally forcing shots that Steph Curry wouldn't even take um, he like really really in the shot clock at one point he had a floater at the elbow. Um, and, uh, Doris Burke pointed this out. I would have guessed it's higher. He's like as good as he is at the floater and it's like automatic as it seemed early in the season as defenses have caught on and, and kind of hedged up more and more and forced him to take it from further and further out. He's only 37% on the year on floaters at this point, which is, which makes it a not super efficient shot, especially when his true shooting on threes is, is somewhere around like 53, 54%. Um, and so, and it's great as a bailout shot, right? Because those, those are situations where, again, your, your best players, you're okay with them taking like low percentage shots because any shot like late in the shot clock is generally a low percentage shot, but it just wasn't the time or the place. Um, then tried like a really tough off the dribble three early in the shot clock. Those I'm a little bit more torn on because like, you know what, you kind of got to take the makes with the misses. Like he's not going to hit every one of those, but he shoots, he shoots well enough on them. I, I just, I want him doing it in rhythm. And once he's already hit a few easy ones early in games. And I don't necessarily mind him taking hard, like long threes, but I prefer him. Like they ran a couple of times with the starters and they're more effective with like either RJ or Randall handling the ball because you run him with the backups and, and they do these little dribble handoffs and like the defense just crashes all over quickly and says, all right, you want to throw it to Obi Toppin like at the elbow or Taj Gibson at the elbow, like be our guest. They're, they're not going to do anything when you have RJ or Randall handing it off to him. Um, the defense is, is sticking on RJ and Randall and all of a sudden like quickly gets like a wide open 25 footer, which for him is, is an excellent shot. Um, but when he's doing it off the dribble against a set defense, um, he can kind of get away with that with the bench guys. And just to your point, there, there aren't a lot of great options and you're probably not going to get a great shot when Randall and RJ are there and available against the defense, like the nets, you got to get them the ball possession and possession out. And those shots are, are sort of unacceptable. Um, he had another one. Uh, this is my final quickly critique, and then I'll, I'll very fast uh, state. Uh, I didn't say quick. Some of the positives. Um, he just needs a little bit more patience in the pick and roll. I think we've been noting that throughout the year. But this one, he, he had one with Taj Gibson where he actually got a step on his man. It looked like Taj was just going to roll into space for an open layup. And, and again, he just kind of took a free throw at the foul line. And and I know it's being drilled into him. Be aggressive. Take your shots. But he that that's a play where he, he takes like one of his like classic – um, like uh, stop all my momentum dribbles, puts the defender in quickly booty jail, two episodes in a row. 
Uh, shout out to the one guy who's tweeting at me to say it every episode. And then a little little bounce pass to, to Taj, and, and Taj gets it done. Uh, that being said, he, even though he shot poorly, quickly had like he, he had a lot of big moments in this game. Like all, all the threes like felt momentous, and it felt like the Knicks needed them to come back. He drew the back-to-back fouls on DJ in the third quarter, maybe it was early fourth, to slow the game down a little bit. And then he got Randall an open three to get it to 112 to 108 to give the Knicks a chance in this game. So it was sort of a tale of good and bad for Emmanuel quickly. But I think he his best chance to refine those kinks, Alex, and, and to learn what it's going to be like going forward to play with high-level talent is to get him time with the starters. And to your point, I would argue Rose is more equipped at this point in his career than quickly to carry a bench unit that needs carrying. Yeah, I would... I would probably say so as well. Um, you know, and, and I think that the the move here, now that we've clearly seen that quickly can hang with the starters and can hang, you know, with starter level NBA competition. So like that whole narrative is kind of dead now, I think. I, I think it's more beneficial to the Knicks to throw him out there with the starters. You know, to your point, have Derrick Rose captain that that bench unit, which he's probably better suited for anyway. He's been doing that for a number of years now, dating back to when he was with Tibbs in Minnesota. And then, you know, have quickly start learning that starting job and send Alfred Payton on a one-way ticket to the upside down or something from Stranger Things. Um, but yeah, that that's, my, that's, I guess, my final take. Do you want to do like a, uh, a LOK90 real quick or anything with any final points? I'll just shout out, my final shout out will be uh, Reggie Bullock shouts to him. He he kept the Knicks in the game uh, in the first half. He hit, I think it was four of his threes in the first half, only hit one more in the second half, finished seven of 12 shooting, five of 10 from three uh, for 19 points. And I thought played some pretty good defense on James Harden as well, despite Harden uh, somewhat going off more as a distributor than as a scorer in this game, which was probably a, you know, sort of a byproduct of the defense being played on him. So uh, that's it. That's what I got. But do you have anything that you want to rattle off before we sign off here? Uh, I'll, I'll just go through my notes. I'll make it like an LK 45 to 60. Um, again, Nerland's Noel, some good moments, some bad moments. I, I love like the sequence he had where he deflected a pass and then Jeff Green tried to yam on him and, and Nerland's just destroyed him like he's been doing to Pistons of late. Uh, this is a Randall note. I forgot to mention earlier. They ran an inverted screen with him and IQ where, where Randall was the ball handler and IQ was screening and he got a step through and one on it. I, I want to, I want to see more and more of that because it's one of those plays like um, the, the announcers are talking about the Brooklyn side with, with Harden and Joe Harris. I just, because you can't really leave either of them with the way Randall's shooting. I just, I don't know how you guard that defensively. Uh, Obi, he had his traditional, uh, sideways air ball three from the corner. I, I will never know what's up with that, but it's, it's really, really bad. Uh, Frank, uh, still, still has to get his confidence together. Like he had a great little, like hezzy drive on Nick Claxton, got by him using his length, missed the layup, picked Landry Shamit's pocket. That was a nice little bit of defense. Um, shooting wise, like shot, maybe just need a little bit more arc, but I, I think we're seeing Frank settle into probably what he is. And that's just like a 35% three-point shooter, uh, had, had against stretches of really, really good defense, had one play where he stopped Kyrie and Harden all in one possession, uh, had another one where he nearly picked Kyrie's pocket, of course, got called for a foul on it. Um, but then, like, I, I, someone someone made this point online, but his, like, his pestilence against those guys, like, it, it paid off. Like, there was a play where he got called for a foul on Kyrie. Everyone was bummed, and, like, two seconds later, Kyrie threw it away. So I don't want Frank to be forgotten this game. I really think he set the tone for that defense down the stretch. And that was it. There, there wasn't a lot of notes on other guys for this one, Alex. So I think we can wrap up right there. Yep. That's as good a note as any to wrap up on. This has been locked on Knicks. Fire Scott Foster. He sucks. <laughs> and uh, 
We will be talking to you guys tomorrow, back-to-back, uh, game against the Sixers. Hopefully, Julius Randle doesn't uh, collapse on the court from exhaustion because they might need him to play 40-plus minutes again in this one. So, see you all tomorrow. Peace out. Talk to you soon.